Section 5 of Gray's Anatomy, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 1, by Henry Gray. Part 6. The Neural Groove and Tube. In front of the primitive streak, two longitudinal ridges, caused by a folding up of the ectoderm, make their appearance, one on either side of the middle line. These are named the neural folds. They commence some little distance behind the anterior end of the embryonic disc, where they are continuous with each other, and from there gradually extend backward, one on either side of the anterior end of the primitive streak. Between these folds is a shallow median groove, the neural groove. The groove gradually deepens as the neural folds become elevated, and ultimately the folds meet and coalesce in the middle line and convert the groove into a closed tube, the neural tube or canal, the ectodermal wall of which forms the rudiment of the nervous system. After the coalescence of the neural folds over the anterior end of the primitive streak, the blastopore no longer opens on the surface, but into the closed canal of the neural tube, and thus a transitory communication, the neuroenteric canal, is established between the neural tube and the primitive digestive tube. The coalescence of the neural folds occurs first in the region of the hind brain, and from there extends forward and backward. Toward the end of the third week, the front opening, anterior neuropore, of the tube finally closes at the anterior end of the future brain and forms a recess which is in contact for a time with the overlying ectoderm. The hinder part of the neural groove presents for a time a rhomboidal shape and to this expanded portion the term sinus rhomboidalis has been applied. Before the neural groove is closed a ridge of ectodermal cells appears along the prominent margin of each neural fold. This is termed the neural crest or ganglion ridge, and from it the spinal and cranial nerve ganglia and the ganglia of the sympathetic nervous system are developed. By the upward growth of the mesoderm, the neural tube is ultimately separated from the overlying ectoderm. The cephalic end of the neural groove exhibits several dilatations, which, when the tube is closed, assume the form of three vesicles. These constitute the three primary cerebral vesicles and correspond respectively to the future forebrain, prosencephalon, midbrain, mesencephalon, and hindbrain, rhombencephalon. The walls of the vesicles are developed into the nervous tissue and neuroglia of the brain, and their cavities are modified to form its ventricles. The remainder of the tube forms the medulla spinalis, or spinal cord. From its ectodermal wall, the nervous and neuroglial elements of the medulla spinalis are developed while the cavity persists as the central canal. Part 7. The Notochord The notochord consists of a rod of cells situated on the ventral aspect of the neural tube. It constitutes the foundation of the axial skeleton, since around it the segments of the vertebral column are formed. Its appearance synchronizes with that of the neural tube. 
on the ventral aspect of the neural groove an axial thickening of the endoderm takes place. This thickening assumes the appearance of a furrow, the chordal furrow, the margins of which come into contact and so convert it into a solid rod of cells, the notochord, which is then separated from the endoderm. It extends throughout the entire length of the future vertebral column and reaches as far as the anterior end of the midbrain, where it ends in a hook-like extremity in the region of the future dorsum celli of the sphenoid bone. It lies at first between the neural tube and the endoderm of the yolk sac, but soon becomes separated from them by the mesoderm, which grows medialward and surrounds it. From the mesoderm, surrounding the neural tube and notochord, the skull and vertebral column, and the membranes of the brain and medulla spinalis are developed. Part 8. The Primitive Segments Toward the end of the second week, transverse segmentation of the paraxial mesoderm begins, and it is converted into a series of well-defined, more or less cubical masses, the primitive segments, which occupy the entire length of the trunk on either side of the middle line from the occipital region of the head. Each segment contains a central cavity, myocele, which, however, is soon filled with angular and spindle-shaped cells. The primitive segments lie immediately under the ectoderm on the lateral aspect of the neural tube and notochord, and are connected to the lateral mesoderm by the intermediate cell mass. Those of the trunk may be arranged in the following groups, viz. cervical 8, thoracic 12, lumbar 5, sacral 5, and coccygeal from 5 to 8. Those of the occipital region of the head are usually described as being four in number. In mammals, primitive segments of the head can be recognized only in the occipital region, but a study of the lower vertebrates leads to the belief that they are present also in the anterior part of the head, and that altogether nine segments are represented in the cephalic region. Part 9. Separation of the Embryo the embryo increases rapidly in size, but the circumference of the embryonic disc, or line of meeting of the embryonic and amniotic parts of the ectoderm, is a relatively slow growth, and gradually comes to form a constriction between the embryo and the greater part of the yolk sac. By means of this constriction, which corresponds to the future umbilicus, a small part of the yolk sac is enclosed within the embryo, and constitutes the primitive digestive tube. The embryo increases more rapidly in length than in width, and its cephalic and caudal ends soon extend beyond the corresponding parts of the circumference of the embryonic disc, and are bent in a ventral direction to form the cephalic and caudal folds respectively. The cephalic fold is first formed, and as the proamniotic area, lying immediately in front of the pericardial area, forms the anterior limit of the circumference of the embryonic disc, the forward growth of the head necessarily carries with it the posterior end of the pericardial area, so that this area and the buccopharyngeal membrane are folded back under the head of the embryo, which now encloses a diverticulum of the yolk sac named the foregut. The caudal end of the embryo is at first connected to the chorion by a band of mesoderm called the body stalk, but with the formation of the caudal fold, the body stalk assumes a ventral position. 
A diverticulum of the yolk sac extends into the tail fold and is termed the hind gut. Between the foregut and the hind gut there exists for a time a wide opening into the yolk sac, but the latter is gradually reduced to a small pear-shaped sac, sometimes termed the umbilical vesicle, and the channel of communication is at the same time narrowed and elongated to form a tube called the vitellin duct. Part 10. The Yolk Sac The yolk sac is situated on the ventral aspect of the embryo. It is lined by endoderm, outside of which is a layer of mesoderm. It is filled with fluid, the vitellin fluid, which possibly may be utilized for the nourishment of the embryo during the earlier stages of its existence. Blood is conveyed to the wall of the sac by the primitive aorti, and after circulating through a wide-meshed capillary plexus, is returned by the vitellin veins to the tubular heart of the embryo. This constitutes the vitellin circulation, and by means of it nutritive material is absorbed from the yolk sac and conveyed to the embryo. At the end of the fourth week, the yolk sac presents the appearance of a small pear-shaped vesicle, umbilical vesicle, opening into the digestive tube by a long narrow tube, the vitellin duct. The vesicle can be seen in the afterbirth as a small, somewhat oval-shaped body whose diameter varies from 1 mm to 5 mm. It is situated between the amnion and the chorion and may lie on or at a varying distance from the placenta. As a rule, the duct undergoes complete obliteration during the seventh week, but in about 3% of cases, its proximal part persists as a diverticulum from the small intestine. Meckel's diverticulum, which is situated about 3 or 4 feet above the iliocolic junction, and may be attached by a fibrous cord to the abdominal wall at the umbilicus. Sometimes a narrowing of the lumen of the ilium is seen opposite the site of the attachment of the duct. End of section 5 Recording by Leanne Howlett